Hey guys, before getting into this episode, um, I wanted to acknowledge the fact that um, this is our first episode in which we had to use three microphones, which you probably don't need to know all the details of our setup, um, but what you should know is that if there is an occasional like scratch um, or that persistent kind of echo in the background... Echo, echo, echo. Echo, yeah. Um, we apologize for that, um, but this conversation with Robert, we felt like it was really important and we couldn't just scrap it because of a little echo yeah so please 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 uh do your best to um sit through uh send us questions afterwards uh, we, we we really think that this is a conversation that needs to happen so so many of our students and man even even adults and some of their parents uh really have this idea they bought into that you have to choose between science or god and we try to explore that whole idea so man bear with our technical difficulties and uh shoot some questions or or challenge us or whatever you may need to do you can do all those things on uh, social media with us. Thanks. Happy listening. You are listening to Confessions of a High School Bible Teacher. Hey everybody, this is Christopher Seals, and across the table from me is... Wayne Randolph. Um, but what is different about this podcast is there is someone to my right. Dun, 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 dun. Well, and, Wayne's, and Wayne's left. Yeah. Uh, if you could picture this, we're in a classroom. Um, and the person that is to my right and to Wayne's left is Robert Trebizo. Um, Robert Trebizo is... Um, one of our fellow uh, teachers, he uh, studied, he's actually a math nerd from his undergrad, um, and in his grad work studied science and religion. Dude. Um, yeah. Yeah, he has a brain. His, um, brain. his brain actually freaks me out a little bit. Say hi, Robert. Hi, Robert. That was an easy one, sorry. So naturally, we brought him on, the, on this show because um, uh, we, I find that oftentimes we will dabble in science, um, uh, but... That is kind of what we do, is we dabble. And so we thought, um, how about instead of dabbling, let's bring on someone who can science, or as the Beyond, Spanish yeah. say, science AR. Oh, science AR. Vamos a science AR. Vamos a science AR. Yeah, yeah. Stoked to have you here, bud. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Glad to be here. Honored. So, um, a couple of episodes ago, we talked about the book of Genesis and reading the book of Genesis. And when we read the book of Genesis, naturally there are all sorts of science questions that emerge. Um, for example, um, I remember growing up in, um, in Christian school and learning that the Big Bang was a phrase used by the enemy, yeah, right? Yeah, the other, the other side. And when I say the enemy, I don't mean the devil. Well, maybe like people would say that he influenced this in society, mm. but... Yeah. Um, but the people on the other side of the aisle that said, say there is no God, and they would say there is this thing called the Big Bang, and that's how the universe came into existence. Um, so when you teach the origins of the universe, what it, like how do you interact with this topic of the Big Bang? Good question. So uh, before I even get into like talking about where it falls within like theology, I often find that I have to really um, make a clarification that the Big Bang is not evolution, and evolution is not the Big Bang, because um, a lot of people mix those together. So once I establish that like difference there, then um, when I talk about the Big Bang, um, I just go through and discuss what the idea is, um, and then I also bring up stuff like the Kalam cosmological argument. We've um, mentioned that before. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Have we unpacked it? Um, uh, just barely be- when we were talking about eternity and mm. why eternity past kind of isn't it's a thing. It's not a real thing. Yeah. Should we unpack this real quick? Yeah, let's go for it. Yeah. Do you want to? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so, the, so there are like maybe like five or six like huge arguments within theology um, that are meant to help affirm the existence of God, or at least that it's more is probably true rather than not being true. Hmm. Um, and so one of those is the cosmological argument, and a specific form of that is the Kalam cosmolo- cosmological argument. Well, and let me pause you there before you even go too much further, because oh, sure. I think that even in apologetics, making that sort of clarification of what you said before about that it is more probably true than not true, mm. um, I think sometimes people look at apologetics as, like, this is the the airtight, we can now have 100% certainty of... Gotcha. X, Y, or Z, right. um, and like really understanding what apologetics is meant to do, I think is really important because even when talking to my students, trying to say, here's an argument for God's existence, if they have any doubts about it, then they're like, well, it didn't work, but that's not the point, right? right. And I appreciate you saying that too, because I think that's the difference between immature and mature apologetics, right? right. And, we, and we, have, we have either experienced it or maybe been there ourselves where um, we somehow inadvertently communicate or it's been communicated to us that this is like the only, this is the only way to see it, and this is... and these the definitive answers and the reality is is no right yeah. like that no and that's probably a lot healthier approach i said yeah when you said no <laughs> but I, I meant i agree <laughs> yeah i agree too. yeah so that was yeah thanks for jumping in there and, and yeah. mention that chris okay. that's that's important yeah so so the so kalam, yeah. kalam yeah yeah what what is it uh okay so the kalam is a uh is what's called a deductive argument um and so deductive argument basically you you have these uh this kind of like formalized structure to laying out a case for something. Um, and usually they'll be constructed in something called a syllogism, which is basically a three-line argument, essentially. Um, so the first premise is everything that has a beginning has a cause. Uh, the universe has a beginning, therefore the universe has a cause. Um, now that argument in and of itself doesn't mean, oh, well, therefore God exists, but it gets right. the ball really rolling to determine, okay, well, what are the characteristics of that cause of the universe? Mm-hmm. And then through through a little bit more argumentation and kind of process of elimination, you wind up seeing that, no, God is the only reasonable uh, candidate to be that cause for the existence of the universe. Got it. And so if we're talking beginnings, right, um, Is could we like interchange the beginning of the universe and the phrase the Big Bang? Are those interchangeable terms, um, or should there that's be a, more distinction that's there? That's a red question. Um, let's see. No, yeah, I think you could use those synonymously. Um, the the Big Bang and the way it describes this just like immediate beginning to time, matter, and energy um, really goes alongside, well, the creation narrative. Um, so if you want to use the theological term creation ex nihilo, literally out of nothing, you have the universe. Um, that's exactly what science describes in the Big Bang. Um, yeah, and it's, it's great because a lot of, you know, a lot of people just in general don't, aren't aware of how those two um, are really, uh, really just match very beautifully. Um, and so what I wind up telling the students is like, no, the Big Bang is actually a really great ally for, for Christianity, especially awesome. with Genesis 1. Um, and that, you know, that's not something that we should, you know, fear or think is uh, bad or, or, or maybe even wrong. Um, you know, it's, it's, like I said, it's a really good ally for yeah, Christianity. Yeah, that, that um, just to jump in real quick, that, yeah. that, that I hope that that's just freeing for people already who are listening. I, I know that when when I communicate it, um, not as awesome and sciencey as you, but <laughs> when I communicate that with my students, um, I see some peculiar looks where they're like, 
wait, because because in again, you know, for whatever reason, we're not trying to point fingers, but for whatever reason, some people have that narrative in their mind that they have to choose between one mm. of two stories. And when they're first introduced to this idea that they can, those two stories can be married, and I loved how you said it, you know, they affirm one another. Um, I think that it is really freeing for some people. Um, and so, yeah, we even just those of you listening, I hope that that. That even allows you to maybe start exploring some more stuff. And, right. And, yeah. and I think there was a, one point where um, one of my first times teaching the Kalam cosmological argument where I was trying to explain how the Big Bang is like good for Christianity and the existence of a God. Um, some of the students almost, like, almost <laughs> took it like they gave me the look like, are you an atheist? <laughs> right. um, like I was trying to talk them out of Christianity by saying that the universe had a beginning. Which just shows how deep into that other narrative that they've bought into. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you um do you find with this big the big bang stuff like since we have both Christian and non-Christian students in the classroom, do you find that when you lay out something like the Kalam or even I guess in your science class you're probably not spending an entire lesson talking about the Kalam, but it probably <laughs> comes up peripherally. <laughs> yeah. Um, but when you do that, do you find you get more pushback from like our Christian students or from maybe like our more skeptical, doubtful students? Where yeah. where do you get most pushback when you are teaching that? Uh, that's kinda hard to say. I feel like I get this sort of the same kind of response from I guess from both. Because it's both kind of like a like a what? Like I haven't heard that before, and so even me, I, I didn't grow up in necessarily like a, a like a a full on like you know apologetic environment. You know, I didn't um, come to Christ until later on in my life, and so even importing all my like popular understanding of how science and Christianity work, I worked together. I kind of had that same misgivings like whoa, what? I've like had this popular notion that the Big Bang doesn't like work with Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think across the board, it seems to be a similar um, uh, similar response. Maybe not so much a challenge in the, in the sense of like, uh, no, we need to squash this, but more just like, I've never heard this before. Right. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting how um, how that false dichotomy exists, how that like there is the idea that there is, we've talked about this before, how often the debate is framed in terms of science versus religion, right? right? And not how, um, and even like both of those words can be problematic, right? Because by science, like most of the time, what do we mean by, popularly when people say science, what do they mean, right? Yeah, usually some kind of like naturalism or empiricism. And so um, basically like what we can measure. So if you're like, oh, if we can't measure it, or you know maybe observe it directly, then it's not science, and that's what that's the gist that I get. Yeah, yeah. That and kind of what's stuff. what's funny is like philosophical naturalism is kind of the underlayment for, um, or or the foundation for what popular people call science. But yeah. that is a philosophical position about mm. science, right? It's a philosophical position about reality, saying that science is the only way we can know truth, which mm. is really interesting that. Um, that means science, even though it's not science. Yeah, because you can't even test that with that, like, truth statement empirically. Right, you know? exactly. It's, um, I think it was one of the books we were reading that calls it a suicidal statement, right? Oh, that, yeah. That, it, like, that statement kills itself. Might have been tactics. Maybe, yeah. Greg Kokel. Nice. Um, so what, what is interesting, okay, so if we have this false dichotomy, um, I think you alluded to this in the beginning. Um, what ends up happening, it seems like, is we get two buckets, right? We have the religion bucket and we have the science bucket. And some things go in one bucket and some go in the other, and you can only have one. Mm. Um, and it seems like all of the things in the science bucket get blended together, especially from those who are maybe 
holding on to a, a literal six-day creation account, which, again, may be a viable um, option as far as exegesis goes and reading of the text. Um, but it seems like then within the science bucket, you get the Big Bang, um, evolution, the age of the Earth and the age of the universe. Mm-hmm. All of those things get thrown into the same bucket and mm-hmm. as a result get like muddled mm-hmm. in the conversation. And so it's yeah. like... If so we, you're starting the conversation already like way off. Right. Right. Because right? we're, all, we're all in these camps that don't necessarily mean the same thing for each other. Right. Like someone yeah. will start a conversation about evolution and then literally one sentence later be talking about quantum physics mm-hmm. and how the universe started. Right? Even the term evolution, just like you said with Big Bang, like how those two things get put together. Like when, yeah. when more often than not, when a Christian student and, and not just students, but when a Christian more often than not says evolution, they automatically are going to one aspect of evolution, which is like, you know, apes to man. And that's, that's right. usually right. And so I even like messing with my kids a little bit and saying like, oh yeah, I'm, you know, your Bible teacher, I believe in evolution. Why? What, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Because it's it just exposes the fact that we need to define our terms from the game. Oh yeah, right? so totally. We know, we know what we're talking yep. about. Um, so yeah, like how, how do we? Yeah. So well, well, I guess maybe when students do bring up evolution, because I know that you more like work in the hard sciences. That is that what they're called? Physics and chem. And you would say uh, life sciences and like physical sciences. I think hard sciences, math. Uh, well, I'm a well, Bible teacher. Um, no, <laughs> hard hard sciences would be like life and physical, and then like. Uh, Soft science, I guess, as the op- or as the other category would be like social science and that type of stuff. Sociology, uh, yeah, sociology, right? Hard sciences are the ones that you get low grades in because <laughs> they're hard. <laughs> right. so I couldn't even answer that question. But. <laughs> <There you go>. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, so um, I, I know though that even though you teach like physics and chem, and that's mostly where you put your energy, um, that you still have these questions surface because of that misunderstanding yeah. about evolution. So when a student says especially this usually pops up in my class when they want to distract me from what we're supposed to talk about in class. But so when a student raised their hand to get you off of talking about, I don't know, valence shells or whatever. Sure. Um, and they're like, what do you think about evolution, Mr. Trebizo? Um, one, how do you respond to that? And, and like, how do you even interact with that sort of question? If you're actually trying to answer, do you, well, do you get that question? Just like outright, like just kind of like this. Yeah. Sometimes kind of you'll have like, these. What do you think of evolution? Like, did they ask like that? They even frame it that way. Yeah, there'll always be these topics where, like, you know, name your hot button button issue right. within theology or within just yeah. like, you know, whatever. That's, the, we're we're going to do that in 15 minutes. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, so uh, with evolution, yeah, usually with that, um, it's the same thing. There's still, you know, even, uh, af- even if we've had the conversation to, you know, separate that from the Big Bang, I still take another step at it because a lot of students still are like, oh, yeah, they're, they're different things. Um, so I'll do that, define terms, um, because you see the word evolution pop up in a lot of things, not just in the biological sense. Mm. Um, like we were reading through a textbook and it talks about stellar evolution. And I'm like, well, the stars don't like compete for resources and like the one that wins, <laughs> you know, the best star is there. Um, and so, uh, so that's the big part too, explaining, okay, well, when we say evolution, what are some of the like primary factors that we mean? You know, are we talking common ancestry and and some other like, you know particulars for like evolution proper, and then so I'll unpack those things. And so, well, why don't you unpack one of those things? Um, common ancestry. Let's unpack yeah. that because I think yeah. that when most people say evolution, that's what they mean. Or like, and even though I know that this is a straw man, like they, when they say we didn't come from monkeys right. or from <laughs> apes or whatever, that that is part of like the common ancestry, like that conversation, right? And so 
what is that all about um, if you, when you're defining that? Yeah, and so uh, usually that ties in with like this whole understanding of like, you know, the tree of life, so Darwin's tree of life. So all of the idea behind the behind common ancestry is that all living organisms developed from these prior forms and those ones had, uh, you know, a common, you know, father point and all, all the way down to the last universal common ancestor. Mm -hmm. So what you would, uh, maybe if you've delved into that conversation, you've heard it referred to as Luca. So that's, and the last universal common sense ancestor is um, the first self-replicator. So if you didn't already know, our cells can, you know, our DNA um, and all of that stuff, our cells wind up splitting up and, and you know, we can produce offspring and all these things. Um, and so the first organism to do that is considered the last universal common ancestor. And so, but then that also winds up tying into the idea of like, well, how did life begin? And usually that is directly related to that very first organism. And so there's a whole conversation there. Right. And like what's that, and that's an important distinction too, is not like if there's this process through diversity that through which diversity emerged that like, I guess biochemically, that's a totally different ball game than life beginning to exist, isn't it? Like, um, or is it, or is it the same, is it the same thing? So you're saying diversity versus the very creation of life? Yeah. Well, and that's actually a, a really good question because that pops up in a lot of, in the discipline itself. Hmm. So, um, but I, I would say that no, they are different because how can you have this evolutionary framework without like the mechanisms for evolution already in place? Right. Um, and so you really do have to approach them differently. Um, and that in and of itself is a huge uh, a huge conversation, and I don't know if necessarily this is the, the place for it, but even in the origin of life, um, that whole conversation in science is, 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 a, is a huge topic. Um, lots of competing theories, a lot of them say, no, it's, um, say, the RNA world hypothesis, that's kind of like how we, these progenitors for DNA, so like we had this first and that helped, you know, create sort of the blocks to get DNA in the future. And then other scientists say, no, that couldn't have come, come first, and so you have all these competing theories there. Mm. Um, but to bring it back uh, to uh, to the, how this is different than like evolution, um, you you kind of I usually frame it as a chicken and egg type mm. of a deal. Um, that's that's my personal thought on it because it's it's the same thing. Like how can you start to have this competition for anything if you don't have any like living organisms to compete to begin with? Right. Um, and uh, and so yeah, you need to have certain uh, proteins in place in order to be able to get the DNA to do what it needs to do, to be able to just replicate. Um, and and just the, the copying process of DNA is what's referred to as near perfect. So how do you wind up having this essentially miracle of a biological process occur? Mm -hmm. So you have the whole process of self-replication that winds up happening, and it can do that with being able to um, a copy like almost perfectly the genetic material that was prior and so they're just it's it's a mind-blowing like just mechanism mm, yeah. um it's in crazy. and of itself i feel like i need to take your class <laughs> yeah, just, i'm just hearing that right now too i'm like dude that's incredible yeah and, 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 and as i'm explaining i'm trying to think of like oh my gosh yeah there's this and there's that component of it and there's this and there's they're just it's that whole common interest ancestry origin of life that's a huge conversation with a lot of different factors at play too. And I think even in that conversation, even though there are a lot of unknowns, even in the discipline, um, there's a lot of, uh, that doesn't necessarily, you know, cut Christianity out of the picture. In fact, Christianity gives us a lot of really great tools to be able to analyze the data that's out there and make some 
you know, predictions or conclusions. Yeah, well, what are some of those tools? Because yeah. I, I don't think yeah. I've ever heard that, right? That that Christianity is an asset to science, right? I've heard it the other yeah. way. Science is an asset to Christianity. But how can like some of these Christian tools be? What are those Christian tools? Yeah, yeah so the easiest way that I can think of is um, think about how you would exegete a Bible verse. Mm-hmm. You just say, okay, well, what's my data set? My data set is the scripture itself. And so um, let's say you're trying to, you know, analyze a particular position on doctrine, then you're going to just say, okay, well, what does the science, or what does the, what does the text say about, you know, um, salvation? And yeah. so, you know, you can systematically look through your entire, like, book that's there, look at, you know, the, you know, how Paul would have said this and that, um, and you can make conclusions based on that, and, um, and you kind of have, you can make some cut and dry statements on, okay, this is a good in- interpretation, this is a bad interpretation of the data. Um, and so that whole like idea of how we already should be approaching scripture mm-hmm. isn't uh, to me that's a, there's a perfect parallel for that in science because when a lot of people describe um, how science ideally should play out there's there's tremendous similarity there so instead of our you know data set being the scriptures our data set is you know what our measurements and our observations are accumulating and so it's a, with Christianity. Um, well, there you, you were just in, you know we're just exegeting nature essentially. That's good. And that's I, I never even thought of it like that. Okay, if exegesis is good, the extraction process of scripture, which exegesis is just our fancy way of saying that, and eisegesis, with taking our ideas and putting them into scripture is right. bad. Then, yeah, it's totally we're totally able to do that with science as well, right? We can have our presuppositions and our ideas about what the scientific data is going to show, and then we can look at. I don't know, look at cells, we can look at DNA replication and want to find something and then therefore find it because we're looking for it. Yeah, and, um, you know, we have this golden view of science to where it's like, you know, it's this ultimate pursuit of truth or at least a really great pursuit of truth. And so there's no room for these kind of biases to enter and that's just not the case. You do have people who try to eisegete, you know, whatever idea into the data that's just not there. Um, and and that just makes it you know difficult in the pursuit of you know what is this what is what am I seeing here in nature? Can I ask um, a question there? Sure. Um, and uh, you know, hopefully I can I can say this correctly. Um, I've come across people who Christians who hold really tight to kind of like Chris was alluding to to maybe like a literal translation of Genesis. And again, I I, th- I think that having the view um, that, that the, the text can handle that, but holding it tight, meaning like that's, that's the only view that they're, they're, they're seeing. I mean, it seems like, and I'm not a scientist, but it seems like that they have to create an alternative science to back their positions in some mm-hmm. places. Um, and I, I'm wondering if that's kind of what we're saying here in terms of eisegesis. That, mm-hmm. that, so I want, um, because of this kind of bias, I want the text to say this, I will create this alternative science. I'm, I'm wondering if you've... Um, I mean, even that phrase might be wrong to you, but but have you noticed that at times Christians have to to create some a different kind of set of sciences to to back up their current understanding oh. of the text? Like for example, the, yeah. one, the one and I and I I'd love to hear you talk about this, but it just my mind doesn't get around it. But I've heard people say that um, that God made the earth look old. He he made it with the appearance of of, of old age, which. For me personally, it doesn't seem to align with the rest of how God has revealed Himself to us. Like yeah. all of a sudden, He's going to hide, make play, play some tricks. Yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe maybe that or, or like what have you seen that happen before? Or you see students yeah. do that or? Yeah, and um, so long winded. Sorry. No, it's okay. So um, <laughs> think of, and I think this goes into the tool set conversation yeah. too. So um, 
maybe to bridge both of those topics that you guys were, were talking about, like with Christianity, we can, you know, accept certain explanations that maybe, um, okay, we can see the that we have the physical data for, but maybe our cause is material, or I'm sorry, immaterial. So let's say God caused this event to occur versus, you know, this rock hitting this other rock caused right. that event to occur. And so we have a greater set of potential explanations to explain, you know, these these different phenomena that we see, whereas, you know, a naturalist is only confined to these particular answers. So especially in like mm-hmm. Origin of Life, you know, they they have a limited set of data that their kind of, their worldview allows for, whereas right. a Christian has a much larger map that they can kind of look yeah, through. Yeah, we get more variables. Yeah, and so I think that um, gives us better a better position with which to like view and make sound conclusions upon. Awesome. And so when, to bring it to what you're saying, um, people like isogeting and bring, bringing things in, I think sometimes it's a matter of just like, just plain ignorance. They've just mm-hmm. never heard things like say about the Big Bang. And so they're trying to like, you know, test it and make sure that no, does this actually fit? Am I being an atheist if mm-hmm. I say the Big Bang is true? And so I think they're just trying to get, in some cases, they're just trying to make it fit with what they already know. Yeah. But in other cases, too... It's so like um, motive. The motive is, is okay, yeah. but the technique is, is off. Well, and right? then sometimes it can be motive, too. Okay. Sometimes sure. Oh, yeah. We've, some, we've definitely seen that. No, yeah. And so, like, no, you know, this is, you know... Uh, you know, you're, you know, aligning with the devil or maybe that, that might be an extreme point, but maybe that's, you've heard that or something. Um, and, uh, so, uh, so holding to those, um, positions, yeah, that, that would be bad science, just like that would be bad, you know, exegesis, you know, you can clearly say, no, that is clearly not a good interpretation of this. There's no good reason to hold to that particular interpretation of that verse. We should abandon it. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, no, there's no reason we should hold to that position of, you know, how, the universe came to be, um, and so we should abandon it. There's just yeah. not that data there. And I so, love that idea too, because it's um, yeah. If it's not moving us forward, abandon. It. Like just don't attach yeah. your pride to it. Don't attach your ego to it or your identity to it. You you can let go. And and what a blessing that we can say we were wrong or or hey, I've, I've learned new things. Like I think that that's something that I know that's kind of on our heart, even mm-hmm. with a lot of the discussions we have. Is like no, sometimes we're holding on, and, and this is me too, right? Sometimes I'm holding on so tightly that it's preventing me from growing, mm. right? And so what a, I love that you said that. What a beautiful thing. We, we can abandon bad ideas. Right. Like that's yeah. healthy. And like that's important for us Christians, yeah, right? And, and the, the positive side of that, like the negative would be, okay, let go of things that you can't get from the data, whether it's scripture or mm. from the book of nature. Um, but it's also like the positive side is, what does the data say? Yeah. Right. Like even yeah. when you do, when you are talking about um, reading like the, the data sets that are out there there, I, I've always noticed that oftentimes I'll come to you with a question, whether it's like a chaos theory or quantum particles or um, I don't know, wave particle duality. Or, I always go to Robert with those questions <laughs> <laughs> every day. <I> go. <laughs> but, but when I, when I hear something new, that's a new concept or new idea, um, I, I've noticed that when I when I propose the idea, like it's usually in conclusion format, right? It's usually ah. because some person said, "Hey, this is this is what this means," but mm. then you almost always respond to me with, "Well, here's what the data says. <laughs> um, here here are the five different ways that people have interpreted the data, and there's not enough data to make." any like solid conclusions. And, and so, so the last person that talked is just the last person that talked. Right, right. exactly. So <laughs> yeah. and so having I've noticed that like with science, if we do science right, at least as as you seem to do it, um, which I guess you do science right. I don't know what that means. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's 
I'm being pretentious for you, so you don't have to be <laughs> yourself. Um, yeah, but that awesome. you you do it with <laughs> open hands. It seems like that there there is no fear about where the data leads because it's the data, right? Um, yeah. And you're open to saying, like, even when you're talking about abiogenesis, you said there's this conversation that's occurring. There's all these competing theories and different facets of it. So, like, for yourself, how do you approach? How do you approach those topics? Like, I guess there's the science part of you, but also like theologically and how Hmm. you interact with God, how do you approach those topics that have various interpretations that have a bunch of different ways to interpret the data and the data could be leading a number of different ways? What does that do inside of you and what's that process look like? Oh man, even right now I'm just thinking of like (laughs) a billion different things because I'm like, oh, there's, there's so much there. Um, So I think immediately when we started talking about like reading into the data, I thought of like, uh, when we do experiments in the lab, a lot of times the students are like, is this the right number? Or like, well, what should I be getting? And I'm like, well, what, is the, what does it show? Like, <laughs> yeah. you just go off of what you have. You know? yeah. um, and so that just kind, kind of helps shave away some of the, the potential for just importing these, this additional, um, uh, I guess, baggage mm-hmm. into, into it. And so um, with... When you're, we're looking at stuff that can be interpreted different ways, part of it is like, okay, well, let's. I get. I try to focus and ask questions to kind of elicit the students' like reasoning. So, okay, well, how did you come to that conclusion? Mm-hmm. Well, and then the same thing, you know, that's. It's. I think it's a really good question. You know, well, what does the data show? Does it support your conclusion? Mm-hmm. Um, does it not? And if it doesn't, why not? So even examining just how we're approaching those things seems to kind of help um, help just sharpen sharpen the reasoning process. Um, and at the end of it, it's, it's kind of just like, well, if that's the only data that I'm given, then the most reasonable conclusion that I could make is this. And right. so I think if we're always looking to say, okay, well, given what I have, what's the best that I can do with it? Mm-hmm. And I think you find a lot of support for that theologically too, just mm-hmm. in general, whether it's dealing with knowledge or just dealing with, you know, whatever God has, um, God has granted to you to, to be a steward of in this life. It's like, well, I, I was able to do the best with it, and this is what I was able to do. Mm. Um, and so I think if we have that same pursuit um, across the board, then uh, we'll definitely find support. And I, I think it just makes it a little bit easier to do stuff, and it makes it easier to kind of approach difficult topics with, with humility mm. and just yeah. to be able to come to this and say, well, this is what I see. This is the best that I can make of this. Maybe I can't make this huge blanket statement for the origin of life, but I can at least say this. I can at least do this. I can at least affirm this particular truth that's there. And I think that helps um, just make it easier to just accept, you know, whatever is true, um, but then to also um, not get, I guess, yeah, like I said, not to import that baggage. So I dig that too because you're, I mean, especially we're in an education setting, like you, you are not only you're modeling it, but then you're also teaching this idea. I say this a lot when I take students to Guatemala, like, like we're, we, we don't have the solution. We're, we're not the answer to everything, right? Kind of this more imperialistic mm. kind of mindset. Um, but this idea of taking on the posture of a learner, like we're yeah. constantly learning. And, and what I love in what you just said is, um, yeah, th- this is what I currently see. And when you're, when, when we're saying like, this is the best that I can do right now, or this is, you know, this, this is the most probable solution. Um, there's so much room for growth and there's so yeah. much room to acknowledge like what you said about 10 minutes ago, this idea that like I can, I can lay that old idea to rest now mm-hmm. because I, I have, I am open to constantly be learning. And that, that seems to be just kind of like maturity, right? And which is one of the things we're trying mm-hmm. to teach our kids. Yeah. Um, that, that, that it's okay to change your mind. Um, following the data, not just 
not just because it feels right, right? But but it's okay, and um, yeah, I appreciate that, man. That's rad. Yeah, and that's cool. And I've noticed that like there's there seems to be a difference between people who practice science, um, who are scientists, um, and the people who write science articles. <laughs> um, oh man, yes. Because like. The man, it was earlier this year, and we were talking about the fine tuning of the universe in in my Bible class, um, and so naturally the idea of the multiverse came up, and so I'm like, okay, well, there's bound to be like this multiverse stuff comes from somewhere, so let me like do my my best job at at researching. Um, what is the evidence that points toward multiverse? And I remember coming across a space.com article in which it was talking about new evidence found to support the multiverse theory um, <laughs> or the many worlds hypothesis or whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't remember what the article was called. But when I read the article carefully, it was that there were these strange non-energetic photons that they found in this weird pocket, like just past, like outside of our Earth's orbit. Um, they were like in the actual article when they're talking about what these things were, nowhere in the article was it saying that this is evidence for, for the multiverse. <laughs> it was just like, here's a weird thing. And the multiverse is in a lot of movies right now. Um, so <laughs> let's say the flash. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you have all these different. Yeah. So oh, it's okay. cool for storytelling. Right? I thought you were using a slang. Oh, it's on the flash. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a second. To... <laughs> yeah. And so, and, and so it's like, there are these things we, we do find there's data sometimes, but then if we want there to be a multiverse, um, then we say these weird particles mean there's a multiverse. I mean, at the end of the article, it says this doesn't prove anything. And like, <laughs> there's a bunch of scientists being quoted saying, we're all skeptical. We don't know what this means, et cetera. Yeah. But then the headline still reads, Evidence found for the multiverse. Mm. And so, oh man. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that, I don't know. It seemed, I, I remember science class um, in high school and thinking, why is this important? But na- man, I wish I mm. went, like, and especially like, I thought the important part was when we cut animals that were dead, not live, um, <laughs> or when we would do make a rocket or do, like, I thought that was the science part. Mm. Um, and I was so bored by the idea of the scientific method. Um, but as I grow up, as You're I grow up, I'm like, oh my yeah. gosh, yeah. yeah. The scientific method helps us keep from eisegesis, right? Yeah. yeah. So for you, um, what is the relationship between science and your belief in God? Um, I think I would want science to strengthen my relationship with God because I would want proof for what I believe and archaeological evidence is what I would want. I would want to strengthen my faith, so... I believe that science contradicts my relationship with God. How? Because I saw a video or like an article a couple years back where they were talking about how scientists found Jesus' bones in the tomb, therefore meaning that he did not resurrect. What does science do for your faith in God? I think it clarifies it. Because... um, Science goes into the origins of the universe and how everything was created, and I think it aligns very much with God's character and how he created the universe ever since the beginning. I, I have a quotation, maybe, like, topic off topic. Um, I, I, don't, I don't lean the science, you know, that direction. Like, my, my brain just, just I, I'm in awe of you guys, you know, and I love this kind of stuff, and, but that's not, that's not where, where I go necessarily. Um, I'm really interested, Robert, um, do you find yourself having any tension at all ever where like your science, your science, (laughs) where science can take you so far, like you said, like with probability and, um, 
do you struggle then and have tension maybe with more some of the mysteries of God? Or would you say maybe as a result of science that maybe you understand the myst- understand, but you contemplate the, the mysteries and the mystic- mystical kind of side of God that maybe others can't? Like, do you, do you get what I'm saying? Like, do you find tension there? Um, no, yeah, usually it's, it's the, um, the other option that you were saying where you're just kind of like in awe because there, there are reaches a point where it's like, okay, yeah, I, I kind of know m- like what the frontier of this particular discipline is or maybe this particular idea. Um, and, and you're kind of just seeing it unfold, you know, maybe an article comes out and you're like, wow, like we know that about it now. Um, but there's still all of this, you know, unknown that's there too. And so I think it, for me, that's where I just get to a place where I'm just like, man, like God is so like huge and like, like just the way he operates is so like nuts. And then I look back (laughs) and I'm like, okay, the stuff that we do know, like, look at what we have to, you know, do to understand quantum physics. And yet like God like designed that. And so like to just like wrap your mind around that or even in math too, the further you get in math and you kind of start looking at like the origins of like why we can even add or like why that even, you know, has some correspondence maybe to like the natural world. And then you see like this construction of this like space for like being able to just add or multiply or divide and these (laughs) things. And you're just like, man, and just, and so the, it's like the more, you know, the more like, I feel like there's just this majesty that winds up unraveling and you just see it and then um to me then i feel like like i'm right up against the edge of like god i guess like i don't know how to like yeah it's for that's i guess that's how i write a book that that (laughs) needs to be your title there you go i love it right up against the edge and i I ask that because (laughs) as someone who um you know i i can't i Part of my story in coming to God was just some of the radical things that I, I, I witnessed and saw him kind of do. And, you know, we call those miracles and stuff like that. And I've just seen some crazy stuff where I'm like, okay, God, cool. Like, you're, you're just weird and crazy and big and nuts. And um, I often wonder sometimes for, for my friends who have that, that, that brain, the kind of you guys are wired, if, if it's harder for you to mm. jump into kind of the... I'll use mystical. I know for some people that mm. might be baggage. No, yeah, I know the mystical side of God, and so that's cool. My, my, I, I got the little butterflies even going inside of me as you were talking about. It. So <laughs> it's, it's cool to, to know how we all interact with the divine. Oh, yeah, you know what I mean. Like yeah. we're all interacting with the same thing. Do you know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And it's it's cool that you you get that same kind of giddy. Oh yeah, uh, I'll say little schoolgirl feeling. Of all, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> no, like, like oh my goodness, he's right there. Like, he's looking at me. Like, um, that's rad. I, it's that's fun. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I'm in those moments too, I kind of like feel like I'm like, like metaphorically just looking around. And I'm like, does anybody else like see this? Mm. And I can only imagine other people how they connect with God. It's, mm. it's probably a similar feeling where they're just like, you know, you see God in that like slice of His glory, and then it's just you. There's just not much else that you yeah. can really wrap your mind around but that, you know. I remember telling you the other day how it'd be fun to get you to come to Guatemala with me. And I, I remember going with uh, with a guy I used to work with, Matt. Uh, and, and I took him to the jungle, and and I I just I I'm one of those guys that sees him in nature. Like Romans one makes a lot of sense to me. Like, <laughs> look, I haven't hidden it from you. Just look around, you know. And yeah, um, I get in that jungle, and it's it's just gorgeous and amazing. And there's there's just there's just life. It's just teeming with life, and I know that. But um, I took Matt. And he just walked around, and he, he's a science guy, and he yeah. geeked out, bro. And he's just like pointing and using words like symbiotic and all these, all these rad. But he's like pointing these things to me. But there was this youthful, giddy, yeah. like, say, like 
the smile you have on your face right now. Yeah, man. Saying it. Like, thinking about it. Like that's so cool, dude. That's so rad. I, I dig your brain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I th- remember reading about um, modernity um, and and the birth of modernity, like after the after the Renaissance and all of this. And there was a movement of people called the encyclopedists mm. that that believed that because now that we have the tools of science, we can ev- eventually catalog all of the information Just that there is kind to of know. know everything yeah so we can yeah. know everything we can eventually put it all in a book and it'll be like this is the book on all of reality um and i think that some people still i, th- I find that the people who don't actually do science still have that view mm. right Interesting. that, we, that yeah. we can know everything but the the people who like actually look at the data actually look at the systems and the beauty and the intricacies they're the ones who like have to put the book down and yeah. and find awe, right? Yeah, that's oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I don't that's know. cool. Yeah, I always wonder like how much will we actually discover before like the end? And so I'm always kind of just like, man, this is <laughs> that's I don't know. It's just an interesting thought to me. And yeah. how much more can we continue to discover right. in yeah. eternity? Right? What yeah. Things do we get to keep on learning and right? How many stuff? How many things will actually be outside of our ability to? truly like measure or just like no just because it's way too you know way too much not as a science stopper but just more as a question of like wonder hey we we kind of opened the door on on time there oh sure Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and so um i know one of the things as we talked in preparation (laughs) for this podcast I, i said you know i enjoy and i think chris does as well like kind of talking about like man sometimes we get sometimes we get like silly questions right um and then we we have like hot button Questions, right? Yeah, said yeah. Earlier. Um, so there's this phrase that that Robert I've used probably in the last couple of years, and um, since meeting you, you, you've 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 got me to maybe rethink using that phrase. But it seems like a lot of us Christians say this idea that God is outside of time, right? So yeah. I remember there was like a joke. I think even back when we used to work together, Chris, like, oh my goodness, you know, that we didn't pray for our food, right? Because that's what yeah, Christians yeah. do. And it was like, well, no, no big deal, because God's outside of time, right? <laughs> right. Like, it's not a big deal. We'll just we'll hit him up and. Um, why should we or shouldn't we continue using that phrase? Oh, yeah, great question. So You have one minute. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Good luck. But depending on my view of time. Oh, no, <laughs> um, no yeah, because I mean, I, I think the best kind of rebuttal to, to that phrase is to say, well, what about Jesus when he was on earth during his ministry? I mean, he clearly was, uh, I guess... Um, uh, subservient in some sense to like the passage of time. So obviously his body grew and progressed. Yeah, he grew, he grew yeah. in knowledge over time. Um, and so at least with respect to Jesus, we can look back and say, okay, well, in some sense, he he wasn't outside of time. He was in time literally with us. And so um, I usually will try to coach people to maybe say God's more transcendent over time to where he still has sort of this, uh, I would agree that he has sovereignty over time, um, but his relationship to time, I don't, I don't think he's, you know, completely severed from its what it is, its effects, and that. And kind why, of thing. why is that? Like, why, especially as someone as, as a scientist, like, why, why does that not work? Why does that phrase not work? That he's outside of time, and and yeah, why does it maybe irk you a little? Well, I think it, um, I think it just has a misunderstanding of, 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 I guess the nature of God in that sense, in his, in his. Um, relationship to creation again with Jesus I think that's yeah, the easiest yeah. like way to kind of frame that because then people are like oh yeah well I guess that's true so we we can't just say that we have to have more more nuance to our understanding of God's relationship so what, to so what's a healthier what's a healthier way maybe 
Well, well yeah, so then I, w I would say the phrase uh, transcend, and then um, and then when we look at uh, creation, I think uh, me and you, uh, Chris, were talking about this too, with how um, when God created, and I think a lot, we both get, I think, a lot of our ideas about time um, from William Lane Craig too, and um, how he talks about it. it looks like the data showing that after the point of creation, God has this new sort of relationship in that he exists with time. Right. Um, and so... So what um, was he doing before? Uh, I mean, then, I, I, then at I, that what point... Is the, what is the idea of the thought? At that point, then, I, then you would say, yeah, God is... God, at that point, God was... Um, what was the phrase again? Outside of time. Outside of time. There you go. Outside of time, because time didn't exist yet. Time. Right, because right. at the creation of the universe, that's where do time kids, began to exist. Do kids' faces start melting? <laughs> do, their, <laughs> do their heads blow up when you start saying this stuff? I think they have... What, um, their time was created... Yeah, that's it, which that in and of itself is just like this weird. I like what listening is to you guys talk about that one. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that with the Kalam cosmological argument, if time, um, or not, this isn't even the Kalam, but just with the origins of the universe, if time is so closely, not even closely, if it is uh, necessarily linked um, to space, right? Then, well, then when God created space, He created time as well. Mm -hmm. Right, and so you have to end up playing these fun linguistic games and talking about the situation before, because even the word "before" is a Implies, is a time, yeah. right? And so I, I think the way that um, it, William Lane Craig clarifies it in "Time and Eternity" by saying he is timeless without creation and right. temporal with it. Hmm. Um, so, in I guess logically prior to the beginning of the universe, we have a a God who is timeless. Um, and so even the idea, that, that's what blows my mind, is the idea of what was he doing is I'm not even sure that that's a question that can be answered because doing would create sequences of events, which then, like, at time. least philosophically, is time, yeah. right? And so... Do, do you think he's up there, up there, here, wherever, just been like, you guys are cute? <laughs> <laughs> right? Probably. You guys, you guys yeah, are... Yeah, I think so. Um, well, I, I think me, we should shotgun some stuff. Yeah, at, let's... At, okay, at sure, Robert. yeah. Here's some shotguns. Just, just, just throw some ideas out. Yeah. Well, I, maybe... I want you to shotgun us first a little bit. How about um, what? Throw out some of the phrases um, or things that Christians say in regards to science that, um, we, that we shouldn't, <laughs> that we should stop saying, or like as that you have to like shut down when students say these sorts of things, yeah. or kind of yeah. But what are what are some of those phrases? Yeah, think, that, think, and I and I'm yeah. going to say one more thing there. Things that like you said earlier that we could we can say. Oh no, I can let go of that. I can I can stop yeah. saying that because that's not. That's not following the data. That's right. not following yeah. God. Yeah. So, so um, I think the the one like using evolution and the Big Bang as synonyms um, for one, um, and I just because that way you can have some way to be able to navigate that conversation, and people will be like, okay, well, at least they kind of to, just to be frank, they know what they're talking about. They're not combining those terms together. Right. So, I would say that one. Do those get even broken down further too? Like even um, just Big Bang. So you parse out Big Bang and evolution, obviously, but even then just those two terms, then Big Bang, you've got Big Bang over here and evolution over here. Right. Do those terms need to be broken down a little bit more, do you think? Not the Big Bang. The Big Bang okay. is pretty... Is kind of just yeah. an event? I yeah, there's not a whole lot of ambiguity cool. with... Yeah. With evolution, we know there. Right. And I do think there's also um, some other things that are in the middle of those two that are neither of them, like huh. the age of the universe yeah. um, mm -hmm. or the age of Earth, right? Because those, yeah. those are two separate questions. Because, I mean, maybe... Uh, 500 years ago, we thought that the universe was Earth. Um, but now that we know that those are two separate things, I mean, the the way that we measure the age of the Earth, right? The, those tools are different tools than the ways that we measure 
the age of the universe. Oh, cool. Yeah, I think that's a good question, too, because even when you're talking with those discussions, especially if you're having, say, a young Earth, older Earth creationist, you know, discussion, uh, hopefully it's a discussion, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then, um, yeah, that's what comes up, too. Usually, like, some talk about radiometric dating. But, I mean, uh, if you're talking about dating organic material within the relatively, I guess, recent past, then you're going to use carbon dating. But for specimens that are much older than that, or potentially much older than that, then you have to use different kinds of isotopes. You still use radiometric dating, but different kinds of isotopes. Argon. Argon. Yeah, potassium argon, argon yeah. different uranium series type um, uh, radiometric dating, a uh, few other um, isotope series as well. Um, but then that only gets you so far as well. That can get you at least to, you know, older fossils, rocks, and then eventually to the age of the Earth. We'll still use radiometric dating. Again, not carbon dating, different ones. Um, and then for the age of the universe, then uh, you don't you don't necessarily have rocks in space. The way we, and we wouldn't. What do you, do you well, we light? do have rocks in Is space. That, but one of the things light. I, I know. Yeah, we use something called Energy. cosmic uh, cosmic redshift, which is different than like. Uh, the Doppler effect. So if something is moving towards you or away from you, um, the frequencies that it emits are going to appear different to you as an observer. In relation to the... Yeah. Um, now, since the universe is expanding, when we say cosmic redshift, we're not actually referring to that kind of a phenomenon. Um, because of the expansion and the stretching of space, light which inhabits that space its like wavelength gets stretched as well. And so then we have this shift of these light frequencies towards the red side of the spectrum. And so so maybe the first thing that like needs to be dispelled or the first thing that we maybe we should stop doing is blending all of these things into the same discipline or the oh, same yeah. discussion. Right. Right. And yeah. we can, maybe yeah. if it's a long enough discussion, maybe we can talk about all of them. Agreed. But they are not the same thing. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I definitely huge. think, especially if you're a, a pastor, if you're going to go into any kind of, or make any comments related to, you know, science or creation or whatever, or making something off the cuff, like, you know, I'm not from a monkey. Well, well, a biologist who's a full on evolutionist isn't going to say that either. Um, but like, just if you're going to say some scientific statement, make sure that it's like good to go. Otherwise you're going to, your credibility, especially for somebody who has some understanding of science, they're just going to automatically think, okay, well, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. So how can I trust everything what else, else he's going to talk everything about? Everything else that comes out of his mouth. Right. That's a great point. So yeah. So either you lose your credibility there or people will just think, oh, he's not willing to, I guess, research or look deeper into the mm -hmm. stuff. And so it's the same thing. Well, has he researched or looked deeper into these particular things? Mm -hmm. Um, and then another thing that I would say too, in terms of, to bring it back the other way, would be like, even in terms of data, a lot of people might throw down like the, you know, oh, well, it's just about faith, um, or something like that, which, which they were kind of really saying it's about, you know, these blind stabs in the dark, which is not true. I right. mean, if you look at, um, Christ, there's so many times where he says, you know, you know, believe in me because of these things what that I have seen, done, right? these things that you can see. And so even uh, Christ doesn't have any beef with empirical data in and of itself. He's, he gives these things so that we can see what he has done. Yeah. Um, and so in the same way, we shouldn't be um, completely like resistant to just like these ideas within science or even in, in some sense, just empirical data straight up because right. Christ gives those things. And just like Roman one says, he does them to, you know, kind of show where his fingerprints have been. Mm -hmm. Um, and so obviously we want to approach that with a healthy balance of, of just our understanding of knowledge, what, how, what we'd say epistemology. Yep. Um, and so that would be, um, yeah, just a healthy balance with what we're looking at. Epistemology is the study of knowledge and justified belief. There you go. Is that, is that <laughs> yeah. the definition, yes, the definition from your class? Yeah. yeah. Nice. <laughs> justified true belief? 
Well, if it aligns with reality. Ooh, that well, that's based well, the, on the <laughs> correspondence theory of truth. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, right, right. Uh, yeah, what do you yeah, we got yeah. really geeky. Um, um, okay, what else? What else? What else? What do you got for him? Because I'm going to throw some stuff. Let's, yeah, let, well, he threw out. A oh yeah, oh yeah, you had to throw out some more, more stuff. Sorry. Well, he he threw some stuff. So you start. I get to throw, dude. There's a lot of throwing. You guys, okay, this ready? is getting violent. Yeah. Um, Robert, ready? Yeah. Um, young Earth, old Earth. <laughs> uh, um, both. No, awesome. Well, actually, no. Yeah, uh, I would say um, I probably am really close to fifty-fifty. If I had to put numbers to, it, I would say probably fifty-one percent old Earth and then forty-nine percent young Earth. Okay, so for for some of us listening, that you just ruffled feathers, right? Exactly. Right so, <laughs> so the the people who would call themselves science nerds, maybe with a mis like a bad understanding of what that means. Um, are going to say, how could you possibly think the earth is young? And then the people who read scripture a little bit more literally are going to say, how could you, how dare you think that it's You were really true. gentle when you said a little more literally. So <laughs> when, when those who read Genesis literally, right. okay, sure. um, that, that opening story, read it literally and, and think that there's no other way, um, to them it might look like you're just trying to have, have it both ways. So can you tell us how you've come to that conclusion? Science boy, or that, non- <laughs> or that, or that non-conclusion. The non-conclusion. I guess. Yeah. How, how did you come to that non-conclusion? I want it to be a conclusion because I want to say what he said. <laughs> Go. Um, well, so I'll lean into old Earth for a second. Yeah. So with old Earth, um, there are a lot of different approaches too. So if you're like, oh, is that person younger Earth, old Earth? There are a lot of different things that fall along that spectrum. So it's oh, not some loaded like terms as well, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so, and especially in that discussion too, you want to make sure. Well, where do you stand? Are you because uh, some people could be maybe an evolutionary, um, uh, theistic Theist. evolutionist, yeah. um, and or some people could not hold to that and be maybe like a Can progressive. Can you just, just like a oh, real sure. quick blurb, what, what does that even mean, theistic evolution? So theistic evolution would affirm old earth um, and affirm the that evolution is true and is and is basically how we got the species that we have today. And when you say evolution, just because we've already talked about how yeah. to unpack that, can you unpack that for and us? And so that would be... Normally what people think when they think of evolution, (laughs) yeah, species jump or the creation of altogether new kinds of like life from prior one, you know, maybe they affirm, maybe they don't, common ancestry, that type of thing. Um, But generally adhere to what we would probably think of is evolution in and of itself. Um, And so that's where somebody might lie or you you could be a a progressive creationist to where, no, we do have this large time scale, but at certain points in time, God instantly created these different forms of life or these forms in the universe in general. Um, and so with respect to old earth, I, I lean more towards that because to me, same thing, the data seems to show a lot of these things. Um, and again, I know God shows us his nature through empirical evidence too, um, in addition to the word. Um, and so to me, I'm open to seeing that. Um, and, and I think it's really easy for us to be like, oh yeah, the universe is so unimaginably huge, but yet we occupy a really small interval of that space. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, well, then it's not unreasonable to think that maybe we occupy a small interval of time among this long time span too. And so, and then to me, I'm like, that seems like it would be a consistent position as well. And so for me, I tend to lean older. There's, there's just, I think there's just more um, things that I can point to that are explained by that. Um, and so that's why I would lean that way. And then respect to, uh, uh, young earth creationism, um, to me, there's some, I think historically, especially within the last hundred years, cre- uh, young earth creationism has not been argued very well at all. 
Um, and I think a lot of... I appreciate you saying that. Uh, uh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think a lot of times, even as you read through the stuff, even if you completely agree with it, to me, I'm like, ah, the way you're <laughs> making this argument is either poor or just like with a, maybe with just a bad attitude. And <laughs> even if this is true, it's not true because of how you're explaining mm. it here. And so um, for me, that's why I would maybe lean against that. But I've been seeing more strides from young earth creationists to try to put forth... Uh, data that is is sound and and reasonable um, and and well done and so as I look at that too and I and as I look at how much we don't know about uh, when it comes to just modern physics then that kind of gives me a little bit of a check to say well, well maybe it is young earth and and there's just more that we don't know so I'm open to that um, especially when it comes to like gravity I mean we just discovered gravity waves just within you know the past year or so and so to me that's just like a whole set of physics that we're just we're just not there new yet. New stuff to go, new yeah. data to follow. Right. What I love in you saying forty nine fifty one or fifty fifty, whatever it is. What I, what I love is uh, again allowing um, those of us that want to interact with the text. It gives room for us to maybe then explore other ideas. And and if if I've got one foot in both camps, um, it's very easy to bring the other foot over. Should the de- should the data yeah. uh, lead me there, um, as opposed to having to hold so tightly and then maybe create mm-hmm. some new science or something, some, some sort of alternative fact, alternative yeah. <laughs> you know, news, if you will. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> if you're entrenched in this position um, and then it turns out the new data comes on, you know, on, on the plane and you haven't been really maybe humble right. with that position, then it's going to be really hard to right. then accept that because then, you know, you don't want to look dumb. And it you and don't it makes me think of, of, of things like, um, you know, the earth being flat or the, the, the earth being at the center of the solar system and these ideas. And when we found the data, like, cool, the, the story remains the same. Yeah. The text remains the same, like that God is still creator God. And maybe we've been looking at it wrong. And I, I like that. Again, making us a little bit more humble yeah. as opposed to thinking that we get it. So right. that was a cool one. Which, which, How, what do you want to throw at him? All right, shotgun. Too. Maybe we'll insert shotgun sounds. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, we're violent. Yeah. <laughs> we're violent. Violent attacks to truth. <laughs> yes. Um, that, is there a multiverse? Uh, I do not think so. And if there does exist a multiverse, I, I do not know how we would have the data for that. So as a, if I were a naturalist, I don't know how I could affirm a multiverse. Hmm. To me, that I, I don't see how that how that's not scientific. Why? Why do some people affirm it then? I think they honestly have to escape the Big Bang because if the Big Bang is true, then atheism is done. You have to have a because. not an immaterial cause of the universe. And even if you don't think that it's God, the God of the Bible, you have to affirm that it's something that is immaterial. You know, some powerful. mind, pow- <laughs> immense, right, right, immensely powerful, timeless. Yeah. Um, and so. Um, that's my only guess, uh, especially even when the Big Bang came out, you know, within the last century, you automatically had resistance. But the more the people kept studying it and testing it, the more it's like, no, the data is showing that we we had a beginning to the universe. And then, you know, you have the Borg-Vilenkin theorem, uh, Borg-Vilenkin theorem that shows like, no, any inflationary model, even if it's a, based on a multiverse, um, it shows that this has to have a finite beginning. Um, actually, I think the multiverse part they said um, in a different one. But e- either way, even that multiverse would be an inflationary model. And so no matter what, even on that one too, you still have this finite beginning in the universe. So trying to go toward a, a multiverse to escape a finite beginning in the universe, if say if you're an atheist, isn't isn't the answer either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does make for good comic books and stories, it, though. It does. I, I think it's like fun. I think it would be cool, but what do I know? 
No, it, yeah, I know, but in, to me, I'm thinking I of this. My doppelganger. <laughs> to me, I'm thinking of like you know, you see these clips from like the 1950s and stuff, where they have like these ray guns and like right, this weird like right. space technology, what they and think we look the future, right? What they think the future is, and we're like, oh my gosh, that was so stupid. Why did we think that? Yeah. Or you know, and then I'm wondering like if it'll be the same thing with something like the multiverse, mm-hmm. where we'll look back and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe what we ever thought thinking? that. Yeah. yeah, or maybe even with respect to time travel, I think you know makes for. You know, interesting stories, but I wonder if, you know, don't 20, 30 years. Don't take it from me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. There's so many cool movies that have, I mean, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Well, we okay. can definitely travel forward. That's true. We are yeah. technically time yeah. traveling now. Hey, did I come from an ape? I do not think so. I don't think there's enough data to show that. Um, and uh, there are a few reasons that I would think that. A, I don't think there's enough time that has been able to pass to be able to have enough mutations that would lend to that kind of a species jump. That's the 49% talking. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, and, and because I, I do have beef with uh, Darwinian evolution, I th- and one of my chief hang-ups hang is um, common ancestry. Con- an- common ancestry? Yeah, if I could say that. You could say every other word. I know, every other word with that one. Mitochondria. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not even like a distinctly scientific word. Um, yeah, and, and I'm not alone in that. It's not just because I'm a theist. There are also atheist scientists who who would disagree with the Tree of Life as well. Mm. Um, Arizona State University has this origins um, like department, and they in I think it was 2013 they had this. Um, it was called, I think, The Great Debate. I could be remembering incorrectly. But they had this panel. You had people like Lawrence Krauss, uh, Richard Dawkins, uh, Paul Davies, these huge names yeah. in, like, in, in you know, origin of life research and in biology. And then you also have Craig Venter, who is huge in the uh, field of um, genomics, which is like mapping out like whole genomes. Mm-hmm. And so they're discussing, and he kind of says off the cuff, uh, yeah, so there is no tree of life. And everybody is kind of just like, wait, what? But then like... I mean, he's a top, like, expert master in his field, and so there, and, and even Dawkins is like, well, wait, surely there is a tree of life, isn't there? Uh-huh. And then he just, like, Venter just kind of, like, laughs, uh, but he, he's, he's like, no, like, there, this is what the data is showing. We can't point back to this thing. Uh-huh. And so in the same way, I'm, I'm just like, well, there are, are components of evolution that I think we can pick out and that are solid, like, especially, like, genetics and genomics. We have so much of an understanding of that. I mean, it's still a relatively new field, but we have so much good stuff that's coming out of it, um, good science and good data that's coming out of it. I just don't see that same kind of a stride when it comes to like human anthropology and human evolution. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like every, I don't know, month or so, there's just some shakeup in our understanding of like the limit lineage of like human evolution. And so maybe this fossil isn't as old as we thought it was, mm-hmm. or maybe it was a fake, which doesn't happen as often, but it happens every once in a while. Or just something that shakes up our understanding of how, you know, that, you know, particular part of the tree of life, which includes humans, kind of operates. And so to me, uh, I think there's just way too much, uh, not enough certainty to be able to say, yeah, humans definitely came from this prior species. On top of my um, get already misgivings with, uh, with evolution yeah. in terms of that right specific. So yeah. when, it, when a student, I'm sorry, I'm giving all the questions. You go. No, I was just going to say um, <laughs> there was a. Uh, um, I had a conversation with one of my friends from our, our church who who teaches at a Christian university, um, and she was saying it, it was a funny thing that there maybe a decade ago, um, the school was trying to establish a a conversation about evolution, mm. um, and 
the irony was that everybody who was in the science department had all sorts of doubts about the the Darwinian model, had all hmm. sorts of doubts about evolution. Um, but then the theology department, they were the hard advocates huh. for evolution. Interesting. Um, that it was that it was in like a kind of I guess a little bit more progressive theology mm. department that they were gung ho for evolution, but then the science department was much more apprehensive about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Huh. And I think that I don't know, it's I think it speaks to that same thing we're talking about, that there's the the pop version of science right. and then there's science. Yeah, and especially with those articles that you were talking about, that happens so often where you have this article, head, or I should say the headline of the article that says this thing What's like, what, there's a multiverse, or if what? that's this, all I see. Right, and if that's all I see, then that's going to get spread around. Because that's how we consume information now. Right, yeah, right. basically. Little, 140 little, characters. Yeah. yeah. 140. By the way, follow us um, at Confessions <laughs> HSBT. <laughs> Very good segue. Hey, hey when, um, a, when a student says, why, but why do apes look so much like me, right? Like, like what... What do, you, what do you do with that? That's that's kind of a fun one when we're, when we're oh, talking that question, right? Like, how, no, yeah, that's yeah. great question. So, um, common, um, so you would say homology, I guess, which would be the the technical term to say you have these hom- uh, homologous structures, so structures that are very similar, and so that used to be a, a big driving force behind the idea of like common interest ancestry, um, but homology doesn't necessarily entail that they had a common ancestor. Um, it just entails. Uh, Common design, and you can kind say of that not with best design kind of idea. Yeah, and you can say that without necessarily any theological baggage. You could just look around. You know, in general, our understanding of like vehicles. If we're talking about right. cars, they all have you know wheels, some kind of engine. Maybe ones are electric. Maybe ones are you know combustion. Maybe That's ones cool. are a combination. So you have these common design features, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you know we had you know the cars evolved in the same way that we might say that biological life evolves. And so all that shows is just common design. And and on that note, too, that kind of actually goes with common ancestry because people will talk about vestigial or, uh, organs, which are these, we're like, oh, look, there are these artifacts of a prior, you know, um, uh, organ on on this organism that now they no longer need, but it's still just there because the genetic information is like there. My appendix? Uh, yeah, so like the appendix, um, so, uh, yeah, probably tailbone, even in whales of these bones, like pelvic bones that are there. Um, My incredible jawline. It, that, uh, <laughs> I don't know if, yeah, well, yeah. that's, that's a different That's from adolescence. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, what do those things point to? Um, and so, well, what I was going to say is I actually don't wind up pointing towards that. Um, more and more research going into those organs is showing that, no, they actually do play these vital functions, and once what we thought were completely unnecessary, you know, pieces of, you know, that organism are actually serving a purpose for something. And the same thing is true with, like, junk DNA. Um, With the ENCODE project, we've been looking through and determining, like, no, we actually, the idea of junk DNA isn't a thing anymore. You might expect that and predict that on our our Darwinian model, but the fact that all of the genetic material actually codes for something useful is something completely I just, different. I just, uh, to perpetuate uh, what Chris said, I, I just read a headline uh, <laughs> actually yesterday on, I think it's uh, on Hugh Ross's uh, thing on reasons to believe about like 80% of the junk DNA actually is not junk. Like, yeah. like it has function, right? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, the, and the more we're finding out, it's like, no, there's, yeah, the, the junk DNA is essentially, it's a junk DNA myth in terms <laughs> yeah. of, it's this artifact yeah. of science that no. It's something that we can let go of and, and move forward. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and what's really cool too is there was uh, a study out of, 
I want to say the University of Washington. I'll have to look that up. But they're saying not only does it have the, there's like this an additional layer of information on top of the existing genetic information that's there. And so like just how, how do you like get that on an evolutionary model? Yeah. Um, and I'm saying that not in the sense of, oh, that's a difficulty, but no in the sense of this is a chicken and the egg problem that like you, how are you going to reconcile this logically? Um, and so I, that's another reason why I would doubt that particular model too. Stupidest question you've heard from a student. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Is that, is, that a, is that a mean way to phrase it? Because uh, we definitely yeah, that's we get, probably we get, we get, we get, <laughs> Let's be honest, guys. We get them. Oh, man. How, you know, I, my memory silliest, actually really sucks. Question. It probably... I honestly have probably asked sillier questions to the students just nice. to just to try to be funny, I guess. But honestly, my memory really sucks. I no and I'm not trying to like. No, 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 no. Uh, but I just because we, we've think talked about like silly ones like um, um, belly buttons. Yeah. Um, were Adam and Eve and the children? Was there some incest going on? Oh, you know, having to you know how are they populating the earth? You know, it's usually funny because. Or I should say it's funny because usually if I ever get those questions, it's because they ask them in your guys' right. class. So you guys have probably already heard all those questions. Yeah. And so they're just like, I wonder if Mr. Chibizo right. has to say about this. Yeah. They, yeah. Like, they like to mom and pop us. Yeah. And, and usually when they ask the sort of question that is above my pay grade in the science realm, I'm like, you talk should to talk Trubizo. to Chibizo. <laughs> talk to Trubizo. Yeah, you yeah. have him next period. Go there. Yeah. All right, shotgun this guy. Sure. Shoot him. I don't think I have any more bullets prepared, and we're kind of getting a little long, so maybe we'll do, do it. we'll do like a follow up, and then we'll prepare more shotgun blasts we, for you. In I the want future. people to send in questions and thoughts and ideas, especially if you are in a teaching position, whether yeah. you get paid for that and you actually have the title of teacher, or you're older and you're talking to someone younger, you're a parent, uh, whoever you may be. Um, we we again do not pretend that we just have all the answers. Mm. We just want to talk about these things, right? Because yeah. it, it seems like. Every episode, whatever the topic is, there, there seems to be a common theme of kind of shedding and letting go and leaving yeah. some stuff behind uh, for the purpose of growing and maturing. So, man, if you're dealing with some of these questions yourself or, or anybody else, man, shoot us these questions and we, we want to wrestle with you. And yeah. yeah. And once we once we have a good size list of those, then we'll rope um, Robert back in here, and then we'll we'll play some science together. Yeah, you can definitely do that on our uh, our Facebook um, site. You can put some messages up there about some questions, or uh, and just look us up at Confessions of a High School Bible Teacher, um, and then you could tweet our, them to our us. website. Yeah, at at Confessions HSBT or our website ConfessionsHSBT.com. or you can call Chris at one eight hundred Yo Mama. What? I think you're missing. That's a actually his number in my phone. Was, <laughs> awesome. nice. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for joining oh, us. Yeah, I could have talked for like I would like ever. I, I learn so much every time <laughs> you talk, man, and remember that I have a lot more to learn. All right, may you guys science and faith well. Yeah. Adios. Amen. Confessions of a High School Bible Teacher is a collection of theological musings and real experiences through the eyes of two Christian school teachers. We do not profess to be professional theologians, but we want to provide a voice and resources for those of us working in the unique context of Christian schools. We hope you join the conversation.